You know, we've been singing a lot about the victory that we have in Jesus Christ and how his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave was a victory. But I, I wonder if you've ever thought about exactly how is that a victory for us? I mean, uh, we still deal with a lot of diff- difficult things in this world, and it doesn't seem like this world is really... Uh, changed all that much. So how in the world did Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave become a victory? And that's what I want to explore today. And I want to do it in this way. I uh, think that a lot of us may be familiar with the children's fantasy book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. And there exists in that, uh, that story a character who appears to be human but isn't. She even falsely asserts that because she is human, she can have claim to be ruler over the entire kingdom of Narnia. But she's a deceiver. She's a liar. She's not human at all, and rather uh, she is the very personification of evil. And even though her heart is filled with wickedness, she is incredibly beautiful. She's tempting, practically. Her beauty is described in the book in this way. Her face was white, not merely pale, but white like snow, or paper, or icing sugar, except for her very red mouth. It was a beautiful face in other respects, but proud and cold and stern. Well, this character is known as the White Witch. And in the story, she has a kind of power over the kingdom of Narnia. She received her power from events that occurred long ago at the dawn of time. And the White Witch uses what is called her deep magic to create an endless winter over the land. And even though she is in charge of the endless winter, her her vast power is limited. For example, if people resist her, she cannot force them to do her bidding, but She can't hurt those who resist her, but usually that's unnecessary because she's found that people are often very willing to do her will, to do her bidding when they are tempted. When the white witch tempts people, she preys on their moral and spiritual weaknesses. She draws out the evil that already exists in their hearts, and if they show resolve, She's not beyond using deception and outright lies to entrap the unsuspecting. Now, as you might imagine, this uh, novel and the story, when C.S. Lewis was writing about the the white witch and the lion and the wardrobe and all of the other things that happened in this kingdom called Narnia, it was all loosely based on a biblical view of the world. You see, because according to the Bible, there was a dawn of time when all things began. And there were certain events that happened early on in human history that ushered in a spiritual age of endless winter, one in which, even today, we still feel the effects of sin. Sickness, depression, despair, even death. And just like the fictional chronicles that C.S. Lewis wrote about, there is in real life, An ongoing battle between good and evil. It is a spiritual battle between actual personified beings. The spiritual battle between good and evil is not just between a singular hero and a singular villain, 
But there are multiple characters on each side, and they are battling for the souls of humanity. They are battling for your life and the lives of your loved ones. Now, some of you might say, hey, I don't believe in all that. You know, I I don't believe in that stuff. I mean, even for C.S. Lewis, it was fiction. It It was Narnia, you know. I don't believe that there's some other spiritual dimension that we can't see. I I just believe that whatever we can see, well, that's all that there really is. But let me talk to you about that for a minute. Let me push back on that idea for a minute. Because even though we might not think about these things often, every single person here believes either like I do, that there is a spiritual side of life, Or, you believe that everything is simply physical and that the spiritual does not exist. And if you choose to believe that there is no such thing as the spiritual, then you must be willing to admit that good and evil do not exist. Good and evil, morality and immorality are spiritual concepts. If the physical world is all that there is, then who is to say what is right and wrong? There is no basis for good and evil in a solely physical existence. For example, if I were to commit a crime against you, you might respond by saying, hey, stop it, that's wrong. But I might well reply, Well, it it may seem very wrong to you, but it seems very right to me. Who's to say? Who's to judge? What makes your sense of morality inherently better than mine? I mean, is it simply a matter of who is the most powerful? Is good and evil determined by whoever just has the most votes? Well, of course not. We know that's not true. You and I know that in our spiritual hearts... There are some things that are inherently good, and there are other things that are inherently evil. These are spiritual realities that we all naturally sense. I'll give you an example. About a year ago, George Floyd died as he was being arrested. The video of that incident went around the world, and if you saw that video on the news like I did, it was Disturbing, wasn't it? You sensed that something had gone terribly wrong and a human life ended. The spiritual reverberations of George Floyd's death were immediately sensed by everyone who saw the video. Everyone sensed in their spirit, it's not supposed to go that way. And we were troubled spiritually weren't we? You see, I believe that you know instinctively that there is good in this world, and you know instinctively that there is evil in this world. We usually can sense it. And if good and evil exist in this world, and if the concepts of good and evil are spiritual in nature, it stands to reason that there exists a spiritual realm that we do not always acknowledge. And let me take this idea just a bit further. 
if in the physical realm we know that persons or beings exist, like you and me, I would hope that you'd be able to give me that, that you and I exist. Doesn't it stand to reason that in the spiritual realm there are also spiritual beings that also exist? And could it be that we as humans exist both in the physical and spiritual realms of this world. In fact, if I were to be more precise, I would say that the physical and the spiritual realms of this world overlap and they coexist and we exist in the midst of it. You see, the good things that we do and the evil things that we do, they have their qualities rooted in the spiritual realm. That is what makes them either good or evil. However, our good actions or our evil actions largely occur in the physical realm, don't they? I mean, whether you assist a little old lady across the street, or you give money to a family in need, or you raise awareness of human trafficking, which, by the way, is an epidemic in our region, you are doing spiritual good in the physical realm, aren't you? And if someone were to commit murder or cheat, or steal, or lie, that person would be doing spiritual evil in the physical realm, wouldn't they? Now, if I'm correct in this, in actuality, all I've done is share with you the Bible's worldview of these things, then we would be left to conclude that indeed there are spiritual persons, us being part of them, we are spiritual persons in the spiritual realm engaging in a spiritual battle. Another person in that spiritual realm is Jesus. And another one would be Satan. In fact, those two persons, Jesus and Satan, are the most major rivals in the war between good and evil. Now, as you probably know, according to the Bible, Satan is evil. Satan has great power, but his power is limited. Satan cannot force people to do his bidding if they resist him. However, Satan gets people to do his bidding by deceiving them, by tempting them. And this is what Satan did to Eve, and Adam quickly followed suit. And when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, what happened was this was a rejection of God as Master and Lord. By the way, when you and I disobey God. It is likewise a rejection of God as Master and Lord. And this is very important to understand, and here's why. In the spiritual realm, we humans are not the highest authority. There will always be a Master and Lord over us in the spiritual realm. And so when we reject God as Master and Lord, it opens the door for another being, another person, to become our master and Lord. And Satan gladly filled that role. You see, as humans, we did not want God as the authority. And so we unknowingly and we unwittingly allowed Satan to step into that authoritative void. And he has enslaved the world. Listen to what the Apostle John wrote about the extent of Satan's influence in this world. He wrote in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, 
The whole world is under the sway, the influence of the evil one. Likewise, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, speaking of Satan, he said, The God of this world, God with a little g, talking about Satan, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Do you see the extent of Satan's influence in this world? On three separate occasions, Jesus called Satan, this title, the ruler of this world. That's from the lips of Jesus. He is the ruler of this world. Satan became the ruler of this world because we rebelled against God and allowed it. However, Satan's rule was not forever. Jesus is the Son of God, and Jesus has greater authority in the spiritual realm than Satan. You see, when Jesus became a human, when Jesus left his glorious position in heaven, and he came to the physical realm of this earth as a mere human, the battle between Jesus and Satan was on. And even early on, when Jesus was a mere child, you remember the story that the satanic and evil King Herod tried to kill Jesus and ended up massacring all of the male infants in Bethlehem up to age two. Three decades later, when Jesus began his ministry, he faced Satan head on, mano a mano. Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert, and then Satan directly tempted Jesus three times. By the way, every temptation that you face will be one of three things. It will be either be something you desire with your eyes. Ooh, that looks good. Or it will be something that you desire with your flesh. Ooh, that feels good. Or it will be pride. And in those three ways, Satan tempted Jesus. Turn these stones into bread. Satan said, that's the desire of the flesh. Satan said to Jesus, see all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them all to you if you just bow down and worship me. That's the desire of the eyes. Satan said to Jesus, if you are the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple where everyone can see you and God's angels will rescue you. They'll hold you up. And not let you die. That's the pride. Jesus withstood all three temptations. Jesus won every one of those battles against Satan. And then throughout Jesus' ministry, the battles continued. Jesus repeatedly cast demons out of demon-possessed people. In fact, on one occasion... Jesus cast an entire legion of demons out of a man who is not in his right mind. Jesus won all of those battles against Satan. In fact, Jesus was so completely dominant over the demonic beings in the spiritual realm that he gave his apostles authority to have 
authority over the deacon, the demons, or the deacons sometimes, you know, but <laughs> Freudian slip. Not, not really. <laughs> Jesus gave his authority over the demons to his apostles. He sent his apostles out and they came back and then they were amazed. They said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. You see, time and time again, and without fail, Jesus defeated the demonic forces. But you know, all of those battles were simply preludes to the main event. Jesus and Satan were going to go head to head one more time. And this time, Jesus would not simply be on the defensive. He would go on offense. And so Jesus made his way at the end of his ministry to Jerusalem. And after he entered Jerusalem, he cleansed out the temple in a most violent way. And he yelled at the chief priests, You have made this place of prayer a den of thieves. The battle was officially on at that point. Satan and his forces made themselves ready. The Bible actually says in the very next verse that the chief priests and the scribes started looking for a way to kill Jesus. That was Satan's plan. A few days later, we read this in Luke 22. Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and temple police how he could hand Jesus over to them. Satan's plan was now in motion. A few days later, Jesus was having the Last Supper with his disciples. And we read this, after Judas ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him. So Jesus told him, what you're doing, do quickly. Within a few hours, satanic evil men arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then more evil men held a mockery of a trial. And then more evil men flogged Jesus and mocked him and they beat him within an inch of his life. And then an evil man ordered Jesus to be crucified. And that's what happened. Jesus was crucified. That means that he died on a cross. Nails pierced his body. And he hung on the cross and died. So why didn't Jesus fight back? I mean, this was the main event. Why didn't Jesus stand up against Satan? Why did Jesus let Satan win? Well, actually, Satan did not win. He thought he had. Satan thought he had. Satan thought that he had defeated Jesus. You see, in ancient days, there was a title that was sometimes given to different idols or gods, false gods. And the title was called this, Lord of the Dead. Lord of the Dead. Sometimes, 
That title was used of Hades itself, of the grave itself. Sometimes the title Lord of the Dead was used of Baal with the Canaanites in the Old Testament. And sometimes the title Lord of the Dead was used of Satan. Satan was Lord of the Dead. And what that means is this. The Lord of the Dead had this idea that once someone died, they became the possession of the Lord of the Dead. Once someone died, their spirit became a captured prisoner of the Lord of the Dead. And there was no escape. The Lord of the Dead had their spirit trapped forever. And now look what's happened. Now the eternal, glorious Son of God has become human. Now the eternal Son of God has made himself subject to death. If Satan could only kill the Son of God, then he would have the Son of God forever trapped in the realm of the dead. Or that's what Satan thought. And so Satan sought out to kill Jesus. What Satan did not realize, what he did not anticipate, is that Jesus had his own plan of battle. In that final week of Jesus' life, what was Jesus getting ready to do to battle against Satan? Jesus was getting ready to die. That was his plan, too. Jesus made the religious rulers in the temple angry enough to kill him. Jesus was anointed with oil. Why? It was in advance of his burial. That's what you do to a dead man. You anoint him with oil. But Jesus had that done while he was very much alive. And then Jesus said these words in John chapter 12. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men, all people, to myself. Jesus knew that he would defeat Satan by being crucified. And you might say, well, how can this be? That makes no sense. How can the person who dies in battle be the victor? Doesn't make any sense at all. Well, here's how. Because this is what happened when Jesus died. When Jesus died, he entered the realm of the dead and he proclaimed to the demonic powers that had been imprisoned there that he is the Messiah. He proclaimed that he is the Son of God. Jesus proclaimed to those demonic forces trapped in Hades that death has no power over him. Jesus proclaimed that he, not Satan, is now Lord of the dead. And then Jesus did what no one expected, not the religious leaders, not Satan himself. Jesus rose from the grave. And for this reason, the Bible says, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every knee in heaven, every knee on earth, 
and every knee under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus rose from the grave. And that is how he defeated Satan. That is what makes his cross a victorious cross. Now, many people ask this question, and I think it's a very good one. The question is this. If Jesus defeated Satan, then why is there still evil in the world? That's a great question. Listen. In God's perfect timing... Jesus will bring to completion every effect of his victory over Satan. Right now, we continue to live with the effects of sin in this world. We battle sickness, and we battle depression, and we battle despair, and we battle death. But it will not always be this way. There's coming a day that God promises in which he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And he will create this world anew. And I would remind you that God always keeps his promises. In the meantime, right now, as we still live in the sphere of this sin-sick world, and we live in the sphere of the kingdom of God which has come, we have an opportunity. God has given us an opportunity to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, Not only are you acknowledging Him as King, as Lord, as Master over your life, but you're also receiving all of the benefits of being a part of God's family. When you receive Jesus through faith, you receive the forgiveness of sins. You receive eternal life. You receive the comforting presence of God's Spirit who will never, ever leave you. You receive the love and the mercy and the kindness of God. God becomes your heavenly Father when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will never abandon you. And all that God requires of you is one thing, faith. All that He requires is that you believe. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says that you will be saved. And today, if you are ready to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and confess him as Lord, please understand this, that you are forever changing your allegiances. You are forever changing your allegiances. No longer are you living for yourself. No longer will you be deceived into thinking that you are the greatest authority in your own life, but now you have a new king, and it is Jesus Christ, the Lord. Now let me tell you something. In the early days of the church, when a person decided that he would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was ready to follow the Lord Jesus in faith, that person was immediately baptized. That means that they were dunked under the water and raised back up just as Jesus was buried into the grave and he was raised from the grave. That's what baptism represents. And often in the first few centuries of the church, the person being baptized would be asked to renounce Satan. Why? Because the early church understood something that I think we've forgotten. When a person believes in Christ and is baptized... That baptism not only is a witness to every human who sees it, that this person who's being baptized is now a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
but it is also a witness to the spiritual beings in the spiritual realm that this person is now a follower of Jesus Christ. They have changed allegiances. Baptism was a declaration of war. It signified to all of the spiritual realm and all of its inhabitants that that person has now allied with Jesus. And so today you have a choice. You can choose to believe that the physical world is all that there is. And if you choose to believe that there's no such thing as the spiritual, you're choosing to believe that the miraculous does not happen. That prayers are never answered. That there is no good and evil in this world, only opinions. And that Jesus was just a man. That he certainly was not raised from the dead. And that God himself does not exist. You could choose to believe that. Or you could believe that there is a spiritual realm. That Jesus is the Son of God who became a human, who lived a life without sin, who engaged in a battle against Satan for your soul, and he won that battle. That he died on a cross to pay for your sins. That he was raised from the grave. That he ascended to heaven as Lord, and that he's coming back. You can choose to believe that. And today, if that is what you choose to believe. I want to give you an option of how you can respond. If you're ready right now to be saved and you want to be baptized as a declaration of your faith right now, when we begin singing in a moment, I want you to come to the front and I'll pray with you. The Lord Jesus will save you. And then we'll baptize you in this baptistry behind me before you leave. Our baptismal ministry team has a shirt that you can change into, some rooms in the back. And we'll baptize you before you leave. And we've got towels where you can dry off. If you're ready today to be saved and ready to be baptized, join me at the front as soon as we begin singing. If you'd like to speak to me further before you decide to follow Jesus, perhaps you've got some questions, then I would invite you to respond by texting the word follow. It's 806-375-4240. I'll get that text message, and I'll get in touch with you, and we can talk privately. Are you ready to follow the Lord?